And we are back. It's episode number eight, the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. My name is Dan Ball. And I'm Matt McAuliffe. And Matt, you are headed out, in the wise words of yourself, on the road again. Tomorrow, actually, or today. I can't wait to get on the road again. So tell us a little about it. Where are you going? Yeah, so uh, I was accepted by the MAC Conference, so the conference that all of our fall and spring teams participate in. Uh, to travel to the wide world of sports, Ooh. ESPN's wide world of sports and Disney World, uh, to be an ESPN production assistant. So I'll be at the MAC Volleyball Tournament. I will be at every game doing some video production stuff, and it uh, should be exciting. Good networking opportunity, good uh Good thing to throw on the resume. Uh, yeah, so uh, Matt was talking about volleyball. That's exactly what we're focusing on here on episode number eight of the podcast. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with Chris Zaplinski and Chad Davis, the head coach and assistant coach of the volleyball program. Uh, great guys, fantastic interview. We'll get to that in a few. But first, let's go through the week that was in Quinnipiac Athletics. I will start with men's soccer. The men's soccer team's magical season came to an end over the weekend in the MAC Finals. After getting a bye week in the first round, Bobcats beat Marist in the semifinal rounds by a score of 3-3, to and then they took the game in PKs 8-7. to If you were there at the game, it was one of the most exciting games at that new turf since it has been built. And the Bobcats host number 5 rider in the MAC Finals, but ended up losing the game 1-0. Pablo DeCastro's goal in the 54th minute provided to be the only tally, and Eamon Whalen led QU in shots with 5, while Jared Mazzola made 3 saves. The Bobcats ended up leading in shots by a 10-4 to margin. Crazy game. It was, uh, both of them were crazy games. I mean, I know. The crowd The crowd came out big for the teams, yeah. both games. So, uh, I mean, you know, re- regardless of the, the outcome, congratulations to the men's soccer program on an unbelievable season. Uh, congratulations to Eamon Whalen again, as we mentioned last week, for being named MAC Offensive Player of the Year. And again, he's coming back. They have a lot of younger players that are coming yeah. back as well. I mean, you know, that that's really, uh, you know, we talked to um, Coach Eric DaCosta earlier on in the year. They're looking to establish that culture and make this a, a multi-year process and that's exactly what's going on with that team. Uh, At the NCAA Northeast Regional Meets for both cross-country teams, uh, the men's team finished 29th out of 34 teams. Uh, Tommy Consalvo had the fastest time for the Bobcats. He finished 127th overall. The women's team, meanwhile, they finished 21st out of 35 teams with Morgan Voigt being the top finisher for the Bobcats, finishing 74th. The women's rugby team, they were the number three seed in the NIRA tournament, and they from start to finish dominated Saturday afternoon as the Bobcats cruised to a 46-5 win over the number 6 seed Notre Dame College. Four different Bobcats each registered two tries on the day, and the Bobcats will move on to their fourth consecutive NIRA semifinal this Friday against number 2 seed Harvard Crimson. Electric weekend coming up uh, for the Bobcats rugby team up there at Dartmouth. Uh, the women's basketball program kicked off their season with two non-conference games on the road. Uh, game one on Friday night, they came back to beat Drexel 56-52. Jen Fay led the way with 15 points and 8 rebounds, while Paula Stratmane had 11 points. Uh, game two of the weekend was on Sunday. They unfortunately dropped that one by a score of 75-58 to at Bucknell. Aaron McClure led the way for the Bobcats with 16 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. The Bobcats are back in action tomorrow. That's Thursday, 11-15 when they take on the Province College Friars in Rhode Island. And the men's basketball team, they kicked off their season at number 9 Villanova. Yes, the defending national champions on Saturday night. Still wild. Still wild. 
The Bobcats dropped the game by a score of 86-53, to and after being outscored 47-20 to in the first half, the Bobcats did keep it close in the second half, only being outscored by six. Cam Young led the charge for the Bobcats and laid down a killer slam <laughs> with the right hand. And the redshirt junior Travis Atson had 11 points in the Bobcats' debut. And the Bobcats kick off their home schedule tomorrow night as they host Hartford before heading back on the road next week with a game at New Hampshire on Tuesday. Women's hockey was off this past weekend, but they returned to play this weekend with two ECAC games at home against number 6 Cornell and number 10 Colgate. They conclude their long homestand on Tuesday, November 20th, so about a week from when this podcast drops when they host Merrimack in a non-conference game. The men's hockey team, they split their weekend series at home this weekend. They beat RPI on Friday night by a score of 3 to nothing. Daniel Winslow, Odin Tufto, and Chase Prisky all scored, while the Bobcats' defense limited RPI to just 12 shots through 60 minutes. The second game, they ended up dropping to number 12 Union by a score of 5-1. to one. Michael Lombardi scored the lone goal for the Bobcats, and it was his first of his collegiate career. Now the Bobcats hit the road for, the fourth straight, for four straight games over the next two weeks. They head to Cornell on Friday and Colgate on Saturday. Matt, uh, where are they They're the next two weeks? on the road again. <laughs> <laughs> and the last team on our rundown and the team that we're keeping an eye on for today's episode, it's the women's volleyball program. They finished up play in the MAC regular season schedule this weekend with two home matches. Uh, they dropped Saturday's contest by a margin of 3 nothing against Canisius, but they responded with a huge 3 nothing win over Niagara on Sunday. Kat Miller recorded her 1,000th kill in the win and is the first player to record 1,000 career kills since 2003. She is also the only Bobcat to record 1,000 career kills and a thousand digs and the division one era of the QU program. So again, one of the most prolific players for the Bobcats over their time in division one. This is also the first time in program history that Quinnipiac has defeated Niagara during regular season play. They head into the MAC tournament coming up this week. Uh, the number seven seed Bobcats will face off against who else, but number six seed Niagara to start the tournament on Thursday, November 15th in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Again, they're going to the ESPN wide world of sports to be able to do that. And when we talked to uh, Chris Saplinski and Chad Davis, which we're going to get to in a moment, they were extremely excited with how their team ended up the season or ended the season. They ended winning five of their final eight matches. And I mean, there's no better confidence booster going into the playoffs against Niagara than shutting out Niagara at home in the last game, last match of the regular season. With tournaments like these, you got to get hot at the right time. And I think they're getting hot at the right time. Like you don't want to, you don't want to peak too much. Like if they went eight and zero heading into the tournament, I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. I hope they don't slip. But this is a very, very good streak that they've had, and I hope that they can continue the momentum. So, again, uh, we talked to Chris Saplinski. He is the seventh-year head coach of the Bobcats volleyball program. We also talked to Chad Davis, who is the third-year assistant coach of the program. They've been working together for the last three years trying to build this full program. The first year that they were there, the 2016-17 season, when we were freshmen, was one of the best in the history of the program. They had, I believe, an 18-win turnaround between years from that, which was the most in the NCAA that year. They're trying to build something here. They're doing a great job of it. And I sat down with them to hear a little bit more about it. And we're back here on the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast, episode number eight. And we're joined today by not one, but two, both coaches of the women's volleyball program here on campus, Chris Saplinski, Chad Davis. Gentlemen, how are you today? 
Great. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. Uh, Chad's going to be doing mic checks throughout the entire, uh, the entire. <laughs> mic check. Mic check. <laughs> so first of all, I mean, that is, I don't know if you've ever considered either radio or some kind of, you know, DJing as a, a secondary career, but I'm just going to tell you as somebody who's trying to do that, you, you have it in front of you if you I want it. I appreciate that. I know I've been complimented <laughs> numerous times when I go to restaurants everywhere else. People are always like, you have such a great radio voice. I'm like, well. Maybe once I'm done coaching, I'll look into that. So I appreciate okay. you saying that, brother. As long, as long as it's on the radar, that's all That's all I really need no to hear. <laughs> uh, so for both of you guys, now uh, it's your third third year collectively working together with this program. But uh, for the both of you, you come from histories of both playing and coaching volleyball. So what was the, the process for both ending up getting at Quinnipiac? Or getting to Quinnipiac, rather? Um, for me, you know, I was an assistant coach here prior. Um, you know, to getting the, the head coaching job. So, you know, it was a good introductory when I was here as an assistant for a year, you know, getting to know the administration, all that. Um, and then when everything opened up, um, you know, it just worked out. And then, of course, once we got, um, you know, a full-time assistant, we had that opening, you know, I, we needed someone with great expertise that's been around the game for, you know, tons of years, and, um, you know, Chad was the choice. It just seemed like he would be the best fit for here, um, just with his knowledge of the game, what he's able to do and what he's able to do and bring to the program. You know, he's already done that in his three years here, so, um, you know, it's been great having him. Um, Chad? Yeah, um, it was kind of funny. I was, you know, we how volleyball is a small circle, even though it's, you know, globally. Um, Chris said, known some of the guys that I knew in Miami from having competed against them. So um, they had approached me when I was down there coaching and asked if I would be even thinking or considering maybe making possibly a jump. And I told them that I would. And then they got me in contact with Chris. And then Chris flew to Milwaukee when my team was playing in the national championships there for club. And we sat out and have dinner. And you know, sold me on the vision that he had for the program and what my role could be in helping him get this thing turned around. And so then I flew up that, you know, in that uh, springtime in between the national championships for my other team that was playing that summer at AUs and got to see the campus, spent even more time with Chris and then after our athletic director, Billy. And then by the time I left, this is, I knew where I wanted to be at and feel very fortunate to be here. So, what was the uh, when you guys sat down and originally talked? What was the vision that he was that he was pitching to you? Well, you know, obviously, w with for for the team with the increased funding and then the program being able to continue, you know, Chris had expressed to me, you know, his desire of wanting to push it and get Quinnipiac to be a contender in the conference, and then sat down and asked for me the things that he felt that I could bring, and you know, I ex expressed to him what I felt I could do you know, and working together within his vision of the program. And so, you know, specifically, it was just, you know, being open for changing how we trained and, you know, discipline level, the type of player that we're bringing into the program now. And so when, you know, he laid all that out to me in a very detailed process, I was, you know, seeing where, okay, this sounds really great. And then I wanted to see the school for myself. Like, is this a place where you could get high quality kids? And then after walking around and, Obviously, with the great academics of our program, it was really a no-brainer. But obviously, if Chris had never taken that step, there's no way that I'd be here today. So I feel very fortunate being here. So he mentioned changes. What what changes were you pitching to him that you, you thought needed to be made with we, the program? We, we changed everything. You know, 
bringing in someone like Chad, we have to have that common vision. You know, of course, I knew where I wanted to go with it. But if we can't agree on, you know, the right changes, we're not going to be able to do that stuff together. So, you know, we talked about it all summer, um, you know, once he took the job, you know, just to get on the same page. And we changed everything from, you know, what we do in practice, what we do in lift, um, you know, what we're doing eating wise with this team. We changed absolutely everything in that first year um, that we implemented it all. I mean, you can you can see, you know, it was the number one turnaround in all of Division One. So, um, you know, we're definitely doing something right there. So, yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, the 20, 2016 season, 18 more wins than the season before, uh, which I believe – was more than Notre Dame. They had the second most that year. So, um, an amazing turnaround. I mean, what did you what did you see from that that specific year's team that was that was so different? I think them just accepting the change. You know, have, first of all, just bringing in another coach. I think is huge. Um, but outside of that, you know, really falling in line with the vision that we outlined for them, and for them to you know, jump on board and just be so enthusiastic about it. You know, everything else w was kind of easy that year if, you know, you come to think about it because all you ask for a team is for them to buy in. And from day one, I remember our practice was at the Connecticut Sports Center because they were redoing our gym. And that first practice in preseason, just, you know, I was just getting chills all over my body with how energetic the team was. You know, they were and it was it was probably the biggest roster we had too. we had six freshmen coming in that year, I believe five or six. And, you know, that <clears throat> that kind of fired us up a little bit, too, because we had finally had the depth, too. So I think it was just it was a, it was a lot of things, you know, everything kind of fell into place that year. Um, but, yeah, really exciting. Same, uh, I guess, same question for you, Chad, that that first year. What did you what did you see from that group that was so special? Well, I mean, basically, man, they were just tired of losing. I mean, that's just the honest truth of it. Yeah. So Sometimes it's, like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's like, well, here's, okay, and here's how we're going to win. So, like Chris be saying, you know, we changed everything up. And it's not, you know, like, discipline ain't just so much about your behavior. There's a discipline in how you should play the game. So, there's certain really specific things that we had to get them in tuned with, like fixing the serving, being more consistent, learning what cycling means you know, valuing ball control way more. And so as we did those things better, the results started piling up, you know. And even though, and I'm sure you'll get to it here in a couple of minutes, like the, the next two seasons, especially this season, even though we start off a little slow, as we're starting to pick up steam here lately, those areas are beginning to improve. You know, that team we just had, you know, obviously and, and a lot of kids, so we had some good depth. But, you know, it was just, you know, and you had to, you got to credit. It was like, it was weird. You had a bunch of kids used to losing. And then you had this big group of freshmen that come in who are juniors now that basically were like, you know, bump this, we're ready to win, and we're not taking no for an answer. And so they helped bring that, and then the older guys got on board, and then like Coach was saying, it just kind of took off, and we got rolling, and it went all the way to the championship game, which was awesome before we got spanked. But, you know, I mean, it set the table for now. There's expectations in the program. There's an expectation of winning, and, they, they, you know, it's a credit to – every kid that was on that group for helping getting the mindset changed here. So when you're looking to kind of continue that success and bring new players into the program, you're obviously looking for that, that winning mentality and players that, that can bring that in and help the program. But what are some other things you're looking for from future Bobcats and freshmen that you're bringing into the program? It's something that Coach and I have spent a lot of time, not only last year, but this year talking about. I mean, we're, we're thinking of completely different questions that we should be you know, asking when recruiting. 
Um, but the big thing is, you know, is the kids motor, like how, how disciplined they are, you know, how's their work ethic? Um, where do they, where do we think that they can be? So, you know, in the past we were getting a lot of projects, which, you know, is not necessarily the best thing to do. Um, we need established players, which is what we're getting right now. And, you know, we're looking at everything. We're looking at how they're raised. We're looking at how they interact with their family, how they interact with their teammates on the floor. Um, you know, when we call them and when we go see them play, you know, what's their interaction with us afterwards? Um, you know, are they able to answer these questions or are they just telling us what they think we want to hear? So, you know, everything, everything goes into it. Um, and, you know, I think with the questions that we come up with in our process right now, it's going to be hard to miss on a recruit. Coach, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in building off of what, you know, Coach Chris just said, be like, um, you know, the it, it, it's very possible and what the model is now of getting both. And what I mean by that is very talented kids who are also bring the intangibles of fitting into your team culture. There just hasn't been enough of that. It was one or the other. Maybe it was a good team culture kid, but she really wasn't talented enough. Or it was a good talented kid but her behavior wasn't the right way. So as that's getting corrected and filtered out, that's what you're looking to pull in, and that's become a much more extensive process than it has been before. And we've traveled around nationally. I mean, we've got some really nice, great players lined up for 19 and 20 already, have our first 21 kid. They're going to really work on building that. So as the program wins, that helps. You know, the people want to be a part of that. And selling them on the vision of it, but looking to get both. Very, very talented, obviously able to contribute, and also just as important, they're good team culture kids that aren't going to come in and be sour grapes that can affect team chemistry. I mean, that's just the straight-up truth of it. So as we're getting more of that prototype of kid, this is going to go up even another level than what it is right now. And that and that's got to be huge. I mean, that kind of takes – not necessarily a step out of the coaching process, but allows you to just focus, okay, we've got these kids in there. There's nothing, you know, outside of the game that we have to worry about. We can just focus on getting them in our system and starting to win right off the bat. Yeah, it's like development stuff. Like, all kids got to improve. Like, we do a really good job, I think, here in our spring season of improving technically. That's why the team's gotten better. But you want them to have a base set of things where, like Coach was just saying, it's not – just a project like you may have one of those say as one of your walk-on kids but also discipline wise I gotta be behaving the same way you know what I'm saying and so you know as you're looking at this and you're evaluating kids you know as we were saying it's become much more in depth but it's not just like well hey she's a good player you need to see how does she act under pressure how does she act after the team loss how does she act with the parents with her teammates and you observe this at a tournament or two and then it's like that's the more extensive process but yeah you're 100 percent right it's like you fill your roster with this you're going to be in great shape and we're getting closer to that model yeah. of having that in place by next year which is really exciting so you me you mentioned when i came in because i kind of i asked you know oh you know did you guys have practice yet today you start very early in the morning. So what is a what does an average week look like for your program in terms of practice, working out the the schedule that that you have your your players following? I think it's when the years passed, it was always, you know, they were going to school, then they were coming to practice, then going back to classes. So um, this year we kind of made it easier on them. So if we start earlier and then get lift, you know, done right after practice, they can just focus the rest of the day on academics, which I think it's been 
great. Um, they're getting into the gym a lot more than in years past. Um, I think practices, they can, you know, focus on that the first thing in the morning. Um, you know, they still got to do a better job of making sure that they're alert and all that, which, you know, it, it was started off a little rough. And then by the <laughs> end of the year, it got really good. Um, so I think just making it easier on them, which also makes it easier on, on us in return, um, I think is huge. So you're looking like at a typical week, you know, if we're playing weekend, Saturday, Sunday, you're practicing Tuesday through Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, Monday is always the off day that we have. And, you know, Coach was right. He came up with a great idea of making it in the morning. That way we can get it done. The lift is built into the schedule block. We do a lot of prep work for our opponents. So, you know, I'll send the girls the video link, and then they'll watch that. And then we go over, you know, extensive uh, sessions the the day of the match up in our little video room to really prepare. So, you know, it's 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 a lot, but that's what this level requires. So, you know, they got to be very dedicated to their schoolwork, which we value, you know, very seriously. And then volleyball, you know, and like Coach was saying, again, that's going to be part of the cultural shift. We got to be ready, you know, and I'm sure as, the, as it becomes ingrained, this will become the norm. This was the first switch. So... It obviously wasn't a very wide-eyed group getting started <laughs> early in the morning, which was kind of annoying. But, you know, like Coach said, it's getting better. But moving forward, I anticipate everyone will understand this is what it is now. They'll embrace it. But, yeah, it's been a lot lot more efficient. Yeah, you, you would think that they, they would see the see the reward from that, too, as, as the semester was going on, especially players that had been here having the afternoon practices earlier. But before we talk about the 2018 squad, because there's a, there's a lot to break down with that, um, both of you guys have histories working with younger players, currently working with the, uh, the Junior Olympic program at the Connecticut Sports Center, and, of course, your, your history working with younger AAU teams. So, you know, throughout your, your histories working with, with younger players, What's what is the change? Have you seen any change rather in the sport of women's volleyball? Has there been a, a growth in it? Has there been a, any kind of change that you've noticed? I'll, I'll speak on this really quick and then hand it over to Chad. But, you know, Chad, when I saw you in Milwaukee, what team were you coaching? Was it 11s, 14s? That was eight when you were in Orlando with our younger ones. So, so when Milwaukee was my eight team, then when you came to Orlando, it was my so just watching 11-year-olds, I thought they were 16, 17 when I was watching them. But watching 11-year-olds and the way that they were trained just coming from, uh, you know, Chad's program, uh, club program, it, it, was, it was amazing. Like you knew right then and there, um, you know, we need this guy over here at QU. So that was great to see. Um, I don't know, do you want to hit on the other points from what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I think to answer your question, dramatic growth in volleyball. Right. And so a big change, although this, you know, the, the Northeast a little bit backwards in terms of youth development as opposed to the South and out West and Midwest. But like for where I come from, we would start the kids at, you know, seven, eight, nine years old in what we would call mini club. And then I miss it. I miss coaching little ones. It was just fun coaching little guys. But, uh, you know, we the expectations change. Like, we don't let them underhand serve. Even if they couldn't get over the net, we'd back them up as far as they could get. So, at a much younger age, they're learning things technically that we would expose even college players to. Now, physically, they may not be able to do it yet, but mentally, we want them to know how to do all these correct things. So, in a lot of these areas of the country – the younger age teams are getting exposed to a way higher level training. So to really answer your question, the shift was, and we did this in our club, 
is that we put our best people with our youngest kids. Now, a lot of clubs do it backwards. They put the best people with the older kids, you know, and, and especially up in this area. And that's part of the reason why the development's a little bit slower. But when you do that, they get to learn the correct thing. So as they get older, they're already doing it, and you're not having to change that. And that's been a big, big change, I think, across the country with coaching the little kids is there's so much of an emphasis placed on and rightfully so youth development and technically teach them the right way to play at a way younger age than what happened 20 years ago 15 years ago for sure and just hitting on that point too you know you mentioned the northeast the northeast volleyball i would say is very much behind than the rest of the country um we don't have those feeder programs we need to start getting those feeder programs but you look at northeast volleyball compared to south midwest um it's not even close to where it should be right now and you know coach was was dead on of saying yeah the more experienced coaches are coaching the higher teams right now which it should be in the developmental teams to to get those girls the right technical skills so when they keep moving up they're doing the right things i mean you know when i was coaching club i think my first team was 18s it was 18 two team and i'm having to fix arm swings still you know approaches which is just unheard of so um, I would definitely say that the sport is growing and growing, uh, just not as fast in the Northeast right now. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I guess it's, it, there's still a benefit, and especially that, that you've seen with, with seeing it probably in general across the country growing. But I guess it, it comes back to, as you said, those, the development programs starting to get a little bit stronger here. But, hey, you know, a stronger, a stronger college program, hopefully it starts to, starts to come up in the, the younger ages. Yeah, you would hope so. I mean, that's, it's, it's not trying to be critical of the area at all. But no, of it's course like not. even if you look at our roster, we have no one from Connecticut on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's just a fact. And so you're hoping, and that's not saying that a talented kid from this area couldn't do that. But if the if the area wants to progress and really develop that in the at the club level, the, you know what we did at, at ours, for example, is I made our coaches coach two teams. So you would coach your higher level, like I had the eighteen year olds, but I also had our eleven year olds. Okay, See what yeah. I'm saying? yeah. And so and my and my top coaches, even if they couldn't be a head coach, they wanted to be at practice for the little ones, and it just made the training that much better. And so you're hopeful. That type of thing can filter all over the place, and it's in numerous areas of the country. But you would just like to see it morph up into this area, especially in the club ball, because it would just make everything that much better. Right, of course. Um, so before we finish up, I'd be I'd be remiss if we don't talk about the the 2018 Bobcats squad heading into MAC tournament play here later this week. Uh, the team ends winning five of their final eight matches, uh, ending of course beating Niagara 3-0 uh, over the weekend. So, you know, the, there were certain points earlier on in the season where, where I guess you could say it was more of a, a trying time, still trying to figure figure some things out. But, you know, what kind of growth have you seen from from this group from day one to where we are right now? Before we get into growth, you got to hit on the points of, you know, injuries. You know, right. one of our best players, Natalie Leko, she was out for the whole year. And, of course, we had two starters that were medical DQ'd as well. So, you know, trying to recruit over them last minute was, was very tough. Um the growth. So, you know, it may not seem a lot from people on the outside, but, you know, with them every single day, the technical training that they got from the very beginning, you know, you're really starting to see it pay off right now at the end of the season. Um, we're becoming smarter. Our IQ is growing. So the stuff that may not have been there in the beginning of the year, we're doing now. And it's just it's the little improvements that we're seeing. Um, you know, the conference is so wide open this year that anybody can take it. Um, 
So we're excited to get over to Disney to see how they, you know, keep progressing and, uh, you know, go from there. Yeah, it's been an interesting year. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the cool thing about our group is we're actually quite dangerous in the seventh spot because other than when we went on the road uh, to Canisius was the only time we got spanked all year because outside of that, Quite honestly, besides, you know, winning seven conference games, we let a number of them slip through our hands. Our kids will tell you that straight up. So it's like if we, and we've been in the lead in a number of ones that we've lost by two points. So as we've slowly begin to get better and our discipline as a whole to the technical side has gotten better, we're going to be tough because, you know, our service game has been strong all year. There ain't been no debate about that, but it's been little teeny things, you know, Defensive positioning, not cycling the ball well, hitting to the correct zones. You know, you go down on the line, all this technical stuff. But as that's getting better, the results have been coming. And even if you look past, you know, the last 16 years, only third time, you know, the last 16 years, program won eight matches or above. We'd obviously like that number to be higher. But it's getting better. You know, we have a number of kids who have a playoff experience and winning. You know, I mean, if we can – and, you know, if we can be successful here, this won't be the only second time in Division One history they even won a playoff game other than 2016 when made championships. So, right. you know, we feel good about our preparation. You know, our kids are going to be very prepared for each opponent. It's just going to be a matter of execution. And if we do a better job and we keep getting there, we got a real shot to make a run here. So, you know, we firmly believe that. And if they can – apply themselves mentally correct because it'd be very young you know obviously cats had you know an extreme this last month and a half man i could have been done played some really good volleyball so it's like outside of one senior it's a young squad and like coach just said our best player ain't playing and so even without that we're still right there in the mix so if we can play really good here you know we got a chance to have a nice little impact might be able to do something very special here this weekend and it seems like a lot of the things that you guys are saying is are just things that come with experience and, and specific experience with your program in, in general. I mean, that at least come, coming to me from hearing the answers. But, I mean, it's got to also kind of be a, a nice advantage for, for you guys, but also for your opponents as well. You come in as the number seven seed. You're playing the number six seed, which is Niagara, who you just took down over the weekend. I mean, that's got to be, from a from a game plan standpoint, a, a decent advantage to be able to have going into the first round. Yeah, not only that, confidence-wise, too, and, you know, just hitting on Coach's points uh, prior, the, the last question, we're not getting killed any of these games that we played this year. Canisius was the only one that, you know, we didn't show up for. We're getting beat by two, you know, two or three points every single set. So um, they know that we can beat any team in the conference, which is great. It's just a matter of, you know, what we were talking about executing right now and, and making sure that, you know, we make less errors than the other team. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, to, to answer what you were saying, yeah, the confidence should be good because, you know, obviously you just played them, we beat them. But more importantly, when we went there back in September to their gym late, we should have won there. We let that game completely just get out of control by a lack of focus after we were up two to one. So that kind of knowledge, I think, helps. And then honestly, man, it's just how hard you're going to play. As if, you know, we got to be calling a timeout to talk about effort or how hard you're trying and our minds aren't in the right spot because, you know, this is it. You know, one loss should be out. So, you know, I, I, like I said, you know, we, we like the chances. I think if we consistently play our very best and our kids are sharp technically, which we do very much so have the capability of doing, we could be very tough because from the service line, man, we got a tough team. We could <laughs> always get back in the game. We're out of it. 
You know, it's like when we played Maris a couple weeks ago. You know, yeah. getting killed, and two minutes later, we're serving at 23-24 with a chance to tie it when we are down eight points. So, again, if we can tie it all together with the strength of our service game and our back line play, we're going to be a tough out. This could get pretty special pretty quick. So we just got to get all those pieces to come together here, you know, two yeah. days from now. So And that's that's so important to be able to have, have something within your game that not necessarily is an automatic, but that you know you can rely on to get you uh, back in a match. Yeah, and we're never out of it, dude. So it's yeah. like, you know, it's like if you equated it to some other sports, like, hey, they're rebounding or great or they got a good four check in hockey, whatever it is. It's like, look, man. We know we can make a run from the service line. So it's like if we can just mentally be really focused on these really critical points and areas and all stuff we've been working on, you know, and our kids know this, you know, then with that service game tied in with everything else, that's where it gets exciting where it's like, hey, forget what number seed you are. Let's just go play. And we, we like our matchups, quite honestly. So we just got to hopefully our kids are going to play their very best. There you go. It's, uh, at this point, it's it's kind of more more up to them than, than anything else. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So before we go, gentlemen, uh, I ask a couple quick questions. These are the real thinkers, uh, more personal things, kind of get to know a little more about both of you, whoever wants to start. The first one, if you could live anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be and why? Coach? <laughs> mm, probably two areas one obviously i'll be back where i'm from in florida living on the beach that's eventually going to happen you know because i miss i miss that a great deal yep. or costa rica one of the two man where you could just live in a little shack on the beach and get up surf every day and just kind of hang out be nice but most likely for me it'll definitely be in florida back on the beach for sure on a on a on a day where it's mid 40s and misty here in hand yeah, connecticut uh, you, can, you can't ask for much more than that uh, Coach, I'm very similar in the sense of as long as there's water and it's warm, I don't care where I am. But I want clear water, and uh, and that's it. And as long as it's not cold like this, then you know we're in good shape. So. Okay, there you, you go. He wants an area where he could sit on the beach and read poetry and uh, catch butterflies. Long, so long walks, all, all that. Absolutely, <laughs> gotta do that, man. <laughs> All right, uh, next one. You can have uh, dinner with one person, either alive or deceased, or one of each if you can't pick. Who would it be and why? Deceased. Yes. Some people have gone family. Sometimes it's a, it's a member of your sport. Uh, I've had a more than one founding father, which was interesting. Uh, a couple history buffs who joined yeah, us previously. I was going to go with a founding father, but I would say with – you know, the stuff on the mind and, and all that, I would go with Albert Einstein. Okay. Just a very interesting person who I just think was very, very different. And I would like to, you know, I, I, have, I would have a lot of questions to ask him on, on his process with everything. Okay. Mm, I would say two people. One, just because I love watching their program play, I'd love to have dinner or lunch with Coach Saban of Alabama since they're just a machine. And I love watching them play. And then – Historically, probably uh, I'll go with uh, Thomas Jefferson because it was always said that when the most intelligent dinners would occur when he ate by himself in the White House, which is actually a fact because he's part, you know, one of the most intelligent people to ever occupy the office. And then, um, you know, in the terms of volleyball-wise, uh, probably Karch Karai, the best player that's ever played 
volleyball would pretty, be pretty cool just to sit down and uh, just talk with him. So, of course. And President Obama, because I liked him too. So, it would have been cool. He just seemed like a cool guy to hang out with. So, <laughs> I'd be just kind of cool to have lunch and dinner with him. So, yeah. that's who I would pick. Oh, it's a packed table. I like it. Uh, and the last one uh, you guys are both on death row. What is your last meal? Dinner, drink, and dessert. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes people will do. I something. could do that already, man. Prime <laughs> ribs, straight up, medium rare. Got to have it, man. Yep. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> the politically correct answer would be a glass of water. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely prime rib, medium rare for sure. That's my go-to. I don't get it as much as I love to because. I got kind of fat, so I've been losing a lot of weight, so I stream that back down. But, yeah, that would be my meal 100% for sure. Nice. So I'll go a little surf and turf. Um, a little filet, medium rare, lobster, and then a good bottle of wine, probably Camus. I'm a big wine person. Okay. So that's what I would do. Nice. Uh, red, white, either, red. both? Red. Red. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today, and uh, best of luck heading into the MAC tournament. Great. Thank, thank you, you very Thanks so much to Chris Saplinski and Chad Davis for joining us here in Episode 8 of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. And now we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, the first time here that instead of interviewing an athlete in the back half of the show, we are interviewing an expert on the second half of the show. Uh, Matt and I are joined now back in studio by a senior member of the Bobcat Sports Media Group and content coordinator for the women's volleyball program, John Franklin. How are you today, John? Dan, I'm doing well. This is like I said to you guys before the interview started, this might be the first time I've ever been interviewed as an expert on anything in my entire <laughs> life. So this is pretty exciting for me. I'm excited to get it going. So uh, give us a little bit of your background first. I mean, how did you originally get involved with the women's volleyball program? It's actually a really cool story. So my sophomore year, um, I really wanted to get more involved with fall sports in Q30, and I was... Uh, I, I'll be straightforward. I was kind of getting the shaft with trying to work and trying to work for soccer, trying to get those games, and I yeah. just wasn't being able to get it. So I figured, why not get a sport that doesn't get enough attention? And I hopped on volleyball. I, you know, I played volleyball a little bit prior to Quinnipiac, and I was interested in the sport enough to get going with it. Called a couple of their games, and while I was calling their games, was when they started to get really hot that 2016 season when uh, Chad came in. That's right, yeah. And they were like, they were playing really well. Maria was a freshman. Alejandra were fresh. They were both freshmen. They were both kind of lighting up the program. Elizabeth Cluse was playing awesome at middle hitter, and like everything was clicking. And I probably called five or six consecutive home games, and like the the parents were really responsive to me on play by play, and I just started to really love it. And I transitioned from doing all that content. Uh, from the booth and written stuff for student media to doing it for the athletic program going into my junior year and that was when I kind of started doing the, the more video stuff and uh, athletic communications aspect of everything but it all kind of started because I wasn't getting the opportunities that I really wanted which is uh you know few and far between but I'm, it's gotten me into a really good place now. I could be happy working with this team. They're absolutely awesome. Yeah, so for those who are listening, John is anything to do with the volleyball team that goes up on social. All those videos are you. Yep. Um, some of the tweets are you. Yeah, most of the tweets are actually um, Maggie Pruitt, who's okay. the SID. But the content that's usually generated for the tweets, so the, the videos and stuff like that, it's is, you. It's, that's usually yeah. me. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to – 
as part of this, we want to break down uh, the MAC tournament field uh, because we have the bracket pulled up right now. So we're sure. going to kind of go down and, and look at each match and, and see what we can get. But, I mean, you know, you've had firsthand experience with the 2018 squad. You've seen Cat Miller break the record for or get Heck her 1,000th yeah. yeah. kill uh, and a bunch of great things happen. But, you know, there were points of the season, and, and we discussed this with the coaches, where you know, there was a little bit of a dry spell. The team was struggling at certain points, but they come back and they win five of their final eight games and they position themselves as the number seven team in the tournament. You know, what kind of growth have you seen from this team from the beginning of the year to now when they're heading into the tournament? You know, it's it's interesting. I wouldn't even necessarily call it growth more than I would say they're just gritty. Like, they know how to, they know how to grind it out sometimes, just get the hard wins, and... They're they're a bunch of talented athletes. All everybody on that team is a talented volleyball player. Like yeah. Lydia Jones came in as a freshman and she's done an incredible job holding down the middle. And uh, you know, you have your role players like Callie Oates does an awesome job. She'll come off the bench and do some incredible stuff in the middle too. And obviously you brought up Kat Miller and Maria, who is one of the most steady setters you have in the country, not even in the conference. Right. So the talent's all there. It's really just it's hard when players shift around and like you're not seeing this. You had Elizabeth Clues who was here last year, who was one of the best middle hitters I've seen. Yeah. And now she's gone, so you're trying to shift around and find that. I'd say it's just they grind it out, man. Like they find they find way to win they find ways to win games. And sure, like any college program in any sport, you're gonna have your losses that you know, like that stink. Like yeah, it, of course. It, it yeah. hurts. But they come back and they respond really well, which is something you don't usually see from programs who suffer some big losses both on the court and with players they they're really good at responding to adversity like that now it was the first time that this team had beat Fairfield in program history yeah and so what is the difference from this team able to pull a win out like that versus past teams who haven't been able to you know it's a combination of things like I said I I do go back to that comment that they're a gritty team like they want to go out and win those games they like to prove people wrong I think and they want to prove – I think there's a chip on everybody's shoulder in, in the program, both the coaches and the players, that they want to prove that 2016 wasn't just a season out of a blue. It was a starting point to a program that's ready to be on the up. And that win against Fairfield is a perfect example of it. Yeah, sure, programs go through their lull years, and Fairfield's, what, a four seed this year, I think, in the tournament. I would hardly call that a lull, even though they – constantly won the tournament the past the previous years yeah of course yeah you know i would it's hardly, like a slight blip like yeah, like a maybe, down year for recruiting like maybe a, yeah yeah they're still a good team yeah. and quinnipiac comes out and at home buried them yeah like it was it was just awesome to watch them in that game everybody was fired up so not much of a difference on the court more so than a different mindset matt i would say all right it's like a winner like the winner's mentality not like in years past it was like Quinnip- quinnipiac volleyball is it's like a shaky thing to think about. Now it's like they're ready to win and they want to do it. And right. they're ready to pull out those wins. And I care in that. Yeah, that was one of the things that they that I mean the coaches mentioned is that there were a bunch of games this year, not not that they were getting buried by any means. I think they referenced a game against Canisius that was the only one where they really quote didn't show up to play, but there were games, you know, where or uh, matches rather where they were they were up points and ended up ended up losing a lead or just, you know, couldn't hold on to things. So, um but I think that's something that's kind of been somewhat remedied over the last uh the last eight matches or so but you know before we get into the bracket you've watched cat miller firsthand the last month or so well i've watched cat miller since she was a freshman oh yeah no of course we're the same age yeah no i mean but how yeah nasty 
is she? And and what is like what have you seen? What's been the difference in her play the last the last month or two? Or has it has this just been a consistent thing that now we're only figuring out? You know what's crazy? She got hurt at the end of last year. People forget about that. And still and is able to get a and thousand kills. She got kills. a thousand kills. She would have been there not even halfway through this season <laughs> if she didn't get hurt. So Cat's yeah. always been dominant. Yeah. Like since since we've both been here, like I get I've gotten to watch her and I know Kat uh, pretty well personally, and she's a great person outside of being a great player. And, like, you would never – the way that she handles herself off the court is such, like, a nice and very awesome individual. Yeah. Like, you would never expect her to be as just, like, dominant and <laughs> just yeah. intimidating on the court. But yeah. she is. She's so like she's just so good. She could play anywhere on the outside, but she, with her left hand coming down like that, yeah. so awesome. I, I have another question before we get to the bracket, Yeah, absolutely, too. yeah. Um, who is going to be kind of a dark horse for this Quinnipiac team, a player off the bench that could make an impact in this tournament? Wow, that's a, Matt, that's a great question. Because yeah. there's a few. I mean, Callie Oates, personally, to me, she has this this way to kind of light the team up. She lights the fire. She yeah. does it from off the court. And when she comes on the court, she likes to kind of be all over and make the plays. But, um, you know, Morgan Sherman got named captain this year. And I think she's going to show up in the tournament and turn a lot of heads. I think that she's going to end up being, I think, the person to watch for the team. I know that Kat is the, lead, is the statistical leader of the team. But I think Morgan is going to be... Somebody to watch. Morgan Sherwin is my right. player to pick. I like that. I, yeah, huge fan of that. Uh, so now we're going to go through the bracket one at a time. Uh, you're, of course, familiar with the with the Max scene. Yeah. So we want to get your uh, your thoughts on each of these matches coming up. Definitely. So uh, just to give a quick preview of the bracket itself. So the way that things work, uh, the number one seed, Iona, and number two seed, Canisius, both have buys to the semifinals. So... Uh, they get oh, they get away from the first and second rounds happening on Thursday and Which Friday. Which is crazy. That that's, is yeah. That's um, one round is enough. Yeah, I opinion. agree. Yeah. A double bye for just, for being the top two teams. Come in, on, yeah. what is it? Uh, a ten team? Yeah, conference. Ten, so yeah, you're you're essentially whittling <laughs> down the final eight seeds to two before these teams even get a chance to play on Friday. It's crazy. It's say, hey, you know what it's not my not my conference to to, to judge. Um, so in the first round, uh, the ten o'clock game, game number one, number three Ryder is playing number ten Sienna. This was a discussion we had before we uh, we started recording this. Both of you guys kind of have Ryder yeah. really uh, really kinda? taking it to Sienna in this I one. I kind of yeah. have Ryder. I have Ryder. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it'll be <laughs> three sets, but it ain't reaching five. No, I I hundred percent agree. They might they might squeak one out. Yeah, Sienna four might squeak sets one out. maybe, but. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't see it going much farther than four. Okay, yeah. and just this is just a, a sheer lack, or, or not lack, but difference in talent between the two teams. I mean, yeah. Look, like Riders a three seed. They were close enough to being the two seed against Canisius and getting that double buy. So, <laughs> I mean, uh, they're gonna they're gonna trounce them. Yeah, and I think they're gonna. They're, it's not even gonna be close, Matt. I think we could both agree on that one. Yeah, no, yeah. Ryder comes into the year, uh, comes into the tournament rather after a twelve and six season. Sienna comes in at two and sixteen in the conference. So that one's boom more more than likely locked up. Uh, the second game going on uh, is number four. Fairfield against number nine Manhattan. Uh, again, this is a Fairfield team that has traditionally been a superpower in the MAC. Defending 
champions. Yeah, defending champions. Uh, you know, some some would say they possibly took a step back. I mean, you know, that's just that's a difference of three spots. Regardless of of where they finished, they had an eleven and seven finish. Uh, meanwhile, for Manhattan, they finished three and fifteen. So it's kind of another David versus Goliath story. And you have a team in Fairfield that knows how to win in the playoffs. Yeah, well, same same head coach. He's been there. I, his name escapes me. I'm sorry, but he's been there since I've been here. So Fairfield, yeah, gotta be okay. Um, next one, game number three, happening uh, at five o'clock on Thursday, is number five Marist against number eight St. Peter's. Uh, Marist comes into the season, uh, or comes into the tournament rather, the number five seed at also eleven and seven. Uh, but Fairfield ended up getting the advantage there. St. Peter's finished at five and thirteen in the conference. So uh, similar story of a David versus Goliath, or is this one a little bit closer? Um, it's a little bit closer, just because I think St. Peter's has been better than years past. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna disrespect Marist like that. I think yeah. Marist is still gonna win this game. It might go five. Uh, so I was just about to say it might, that. Go, it five, might go five sets, but I think Maris yeah. is going to win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then of course we get to the final game or match of the bracket. Uh, it's number six Niagara Bobcats. and number seven Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac wins. We all know who our picks are. Yeah. Uh, come on I now. Think come that on now. There's there's no better way to forecast this game than what just happened a week ago. I, right. Uh, I th- I th- I agree. It also not that home court is going to make a huge difference, but uh, I think that when you're playing at home and then going to Disney are two different things, but that I still think the Bobcats, I I real I would love them to sweep. Yep. Just to be there and watch them sweep <laughs> in the first round would be awesome. And I'm gonna pick them to sweep, but I don't I don't think it's gonna go more than four in this one. I think they beat them bad. Q U I N N I P I AC Bobcats. Niagara Bobcats. comes into the match uh, nine and nine, but having lost their final three matches of the season and final four of their last five. So while the Bobcats are going up. Niagara seems to be going a little bit further down. So and again, yeah, da- go ahead, John. And Danielle, like a tell a telltale of like Matt brought it up earlier. Yeah. The ride the hot team going into the playoffs. When they were when the Bobcats were playing Niagara this past weekend, you could kind of feel Niagara's wheels were falling off the wagon a little bit. Really? Yeah. I could see like the coach was getting very frustrated on the bench. She was yelling, like very, very outward with her emotions. Not something that you usually see a lot from volleyball uh, coaches being that loud, that vocal. Yeah. And there was a point in, I believe it was the third set, where Niagara had a chance to come back and win, and the Bobcats just scored, I think they reel off like four unanswered points to end up winning the set and win the match. So yeah. that just might be the the tone setter going to the tournament. Bobcats are going to win this okay. one. Okay. So, uh, so after that... Uh, we had number three rider that would be against number five. Well, they would reseed. So that's also one one interesting thing that we yeah, that like, we need what? to note. That's they wild. reseed the brackets. So yes. with the way so that is this we based on performance. Is this based on performance? I'm actually not sure because I've last year I didn't get to go to the tournament because I was in the hospital. So I don't I don't really know how they reseed it. So here it is. Uh, the highest advancing seed will play the lowest advancing seed in the second round. Uh, so I guess that I because guess they of that maintain the, the seeds in the second round. That yeah. I mean, so because of that, uh, the Bobcats then would play uh, against number three Ryder in the second round, and that would leave number five Marist and number four Fairfield, and the other match Ooh. there with the like winners. That game. The five four game is interesting. Like that yeah. Game. I mean. That that's one of those you could literally flip a coin, yeah, and give me fifty tries, and I don't, I don't know who I would still pick. <laughs> yeah, you know? 
and then you you're left there with with the Bobcats going up against number three Ryder. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how they fared. I'll quickly check the schedule to see what the season series looked like. I mean, you know, hey, when Dan? you're coming up against the number three, yes. I don't care how they fared. Go Bobcats. There you go. There it is. They uh, dropped one on the road 3-0 and then dropped one 3-1 at home. So they dropped one by two sets. At what point in the season was this? Uh, 3-0 was September 15th, and then they the Bobcats, game number two of that final seven-game homestand at the end of the season was when they dropped one 3-1. Man, I mean, I'm not. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, I'm never going to pick against the Bobcats. Of yeah, course. No, but not. And, that, and that's the thing about this tournament, too, is it's a lot of fun because it is a different atmosphere, and you never really know. Yeah. Like, what? you never really know. One team could just feel their groove and be playing their game better than their opponent. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, in hockey, you ride the hot goalie in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, there, there are aspects to different sports where you ride certain, like, you ride your hot pitcher in the MLB yeah. playoffs. Like, when it comes to volleyball, though, th- there's no one player. Yeah. It's the team and how they kind of become a cohesive unit coming into the playoffs and aside from i think one real glaring outlier in the last couple of games for the bobcats they've played real well because really the, good volleyball like in the game of volleyball it's different than baseball or hockey like baseball yeah you have one pitcher who throws the pitch in order to score a solid point in volleyball you need like three at three people touching the ball minimum. at a minimum like you're 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 looking at ball coming over let's say it's a service so you're going to get three people to touch the ball if it comes over after a service you could get a tip at the net somebody makes a defensive play you just don't you don't yeah. know where you the ball is going. everyone you need everyone firing on all cylinders and dude. you, you kind of need to be able to respond to to chaos in a sense because if there's yeah. a if there's a long if there's you know a long possession going on one way or another and, and nobody really seems to be able to you got to be able to take advantage of something and, like that and defense plays a huge part in that i'm going to tell you right now there's no better defensive player in the mac than Alejandro rodriguez really no none better yeah wow. from everybody that i've seen she is the best libero in the conference yep. bar none interesting okay that could be a huge that could be a huge turning point uh, so Ryder, who uh, would, if the, hypothetically, if the, if the Bobcats and Ryder both won, would be the second round opponent. They were on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine match winning streak before losing their final match of the season three two at St. Peter's. That's a really? tough loss. Yeah. Huh. So you come in cooking, winning those many matches in a row, and then you end your season on the road with a loss against St. Peter's, hardly on who the road. was ranked number eight. That's hardly on the road. They're pretty close to each other in Jersey. It's not that much of a road trip, but yeah. Um, do you think they kind of overthink it? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't That's know. You're running nine wins, and then you drop to St. Peter's three two. And the other thing is, teams because of the seeding could get a little too comfortable, and then yep. you, then you drop a game and. That you drop a game that you didn't want to. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, it's the tournament is going to be wild. Uh, you know, really no real way, especially with the reseeding, no real good prediction for how this can go. But roll Bobcats as always. Okay, John Franklin, we're going to ask you the same three questions that we ask all of our guests. They're the personal questions. Give us as best of an answer as you can. Sure. First one: If you could live anywhere in the world that is not Hamden, Connecticut, where would it be and Ocean, why? Ocean City, Maryland. Wow, that was almost before I finished. Why? Not even a question. It's the most beautiful place in America. Vacation there from the time I was in fifth grade to, I think, eighth grade was the last year we went. I miss it. Would live there in a heartbeat. I could live literally on the beach any day of the week, get up and see the ocean, and that would be perfect. I could live the rest of my life easy like that. Um, All right, next one. 
if you could have dinner with anyone either alive or deceased, or one of both, or multiple, because uh, Chad Davis had a bunch, who would it be and why? Well, who did who did Chad have? So he had, uh, the name escapes me, but the best volleyball player ever, um, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I like that pick. Oh man, there were a couple more. I'm, it's, I'm, it, it's gonna. Oh, uh, Nick Saban was one of the ones he oh, had. That's a good oh, one. I rock with that. And then, one. Uh, Chris Saplinski had Albert Einstein, which I thought an was intellectual. A, yes, which which okay. was an interesting answer. Okay. Wow. And you can also go like a family member. Neither of them through family, but we've had a bunch of family members used in the past. Interesting. All right. Um, I think if I had to pick a living person, I would choose. I choose Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. Jerry Seinfeld is somebody who I would really like to sit Love down and talk to, pick. pick his brain, <laughs> and really like get down to the nitty gritty over you know his show and how he's developed into such like a brand and just his name. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, if I had to pick somebody who's uh, passed on, doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be famous? You said right. That's correct. Yeah. Hmm. Which opens up a whole nother. It does. It opens up. It opens up a different, but. I think Matt, this might be a pick you appreciate because you and I have similar tastes in music. Indeed. Um, and part of me wants to go with Frank Sinatra, but I think that that's a gen- uh, almost generic answer because a lot of people would want to do that. I did I'd, pick him. I did I'd, pick him as I'd, mine. I'd go Dean Martin. Okay. I think he gets forgotten, and I would like to see like what his mindset of things were. And during the same time, you know, you had the Rat Pack. You had uh, you know him, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, like those guys all growing up in the same time. That's yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. could you imagine that just sitting down to, even with both of them like how cool that dinner would be? Oh yeah, it'd be a dinner full of swagger <laughs> for sure, for sure. Final one, uh, you are hypothetically on death row. What is your last meal, dinner, drink, and dessert? Okay, I think for dinner, I think every man in the history of the world says a good steak. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shy away from steak. Okay. It can also be something specific, like from a hometown restaurant or something like. Right. Yeah. Now I think if I'm gonna have a last meal, it's gonna be my my dad's penne alla vodka, <sighs> the best I've ever had. He cooks it for hours on Sundays, like as Italian as it gets. <laughs> it, it's incredible. It's the best. So my dad's uh, penne alla vodka to drink. I want. This is going to sound a little ridiculous, but you know Boylan's root beers, like the bottled, like classic yeah, yeah, old yeah, school yeah. root beer? Oh, yeah. Boylan's Creamy Red Birch Beer. Ooh. The best. The wow. best. Okay. Anytime ever. Yep. And for for dessert, I need a lava cake with vanilla ice cream. Yeah, facts. On the side. The cool, the vanilla. I love that. That's a great... You can't do it much better than that. Like, that's something you, I can't even fight. Yes. No. Uh, John Franklin, if we want to follow you anywhere, uh, where can we find you? On Twitter, at Media. Very professional with my Twitter nowadays. Nice, uh, yeah. T- toss me that follow. I'll be following the team around in, uh, in Florida with yeah. Manny McAuliffe. will be there, too. We're going to be... Uh, with the conference, oh, yeah. On the grind, baby. On the grind. Love and that. then, if you hey, if you're looking for any good Instagram followers... At hey, it's Franklin Six. You can find me. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Uh, Anytime. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So that's gonna do it here for episode number eight of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, make sure you go online to QuinnipiacBobcats.com. Get all your stats, roster scores, tickets, everything you may need. You can follow the uh, main athletics account at QU Athletics, and you can follow the women's volleyball program at QU underscore WVB. 
Uh, make sure you also check out Bobcats Weekly on Instagram. We just put out a new video yesterday because this is dropping on Wednesday. There's going to be a new one on Friday. Some great content going up from Florida. Right, boys? Sure hope so. Uh, Matt McAuliffe, if we want to follow you, where can we? At M McAuliffe 7. Love that. Classic. A lot of great content coming from Florida on that account as well. And you can follow me at Dan Ball, B-A-H-L. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week with a new episode. Goodbye, everybody. The theme song of the Quinnipiac Athletics Podcast is Wire and Flashing Lights by Professor Click.